me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verse 19 today. We skipped over it last week. We'll let you know that our messages are on Spotify now. If you are interested in that, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes on Facebook. So there's, uh, if you go to our Facebook page, there's a link on there uh, to listen to our messages on Spotify. They're on about everything else. need to help with that, ask Maggie, she'll help you. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 19, let me just say to you, I don't feel worthy nor uh, prepared enough to preach this message. I think it may be one of the top five most important messages that I'll preach this year. I think it has a, a power to transform our lives and our church and your families if we take to heart what is written in Romans chapter 16, verse 19. Let's look at it together. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The word simple there, a better translation would be the word innocent. Innocent concerning evil. I just want to look at it uh, phrase by phrase as we normally do. Verse 19, the first phrase, your obedience has become known to all. Uh, people are known to be obedient or not to be obedient. If we talk about uh, married couples, uh, you know whether or not they sort of live for the Lord or whether or not they, uh, or they don't. If we talk about singles, you know uh, kind of where their life stands. It's, it's just kind of evident. You can see it in the way they live, in the way they act. If you know children... Uh, they are known to be obedient or not. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 11 says, even a child is known by his deeds or his ways, uh, whether he, what he does is pure and right. And so even in our church, you can look around and, and you know this, these children are a little more obedient, these are a little less obedient, these uh, young people seem to live for the Lord a little more. It is known abroad is what he's saying. People abroad, Paul's writing this from another place and he's talking to the church in Rome and he's saying it's known about you and your church that you're you're obedient to the Lord and he says to all there at the end of that phrase everybody seems to know it uh, there there are things that people are seeing and people are recognizing and they know about you that you at least not that you're perfect but you you strive to obey the Lord and it's known and it's seen by all. Do you all agree with that? Is that evident? Do you, maybe not. You don't think that way about yourself, but you think that way about others, don't you? You, you watch other people and you know uh, whether or not they're living for the Lord. And so I just want to let that first phrase sink in. You need to recognize as a Christian man, a Christian woman, the, be aware of the impact your life is having to other people, even people near and far, they're recognizing whether or not you're living for the Lord. People know that about you. You, you say, well, I'm not a good witness, or I don't talk often about the Lord, or I don't do enough. Of, you can go down the list. I'm telling you from Scripture, people know whether or not you're living for the Lord. It's evident about you. So uh, that's, that's what Paul says, first of all. People are known to be obedient or not. Look at the second phrase. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. He says, I'm rejoicing on your behalf. Why is he rejoicing? He's rejoicing for your obedience. He says, your obedience makes me glad, makes me happy, makes me rejoice. Do you know this? There are people who watch you love and obey God, and they're happy about it. Do you know that? It, it might be a mother or father. It might be a cousin, an aunt and a, or an uncle. It might be somebody in this church. I, think, I was thinking about this a lot this week. There's a lot of you in this church. When I watch you uh, love God, uh, especially some of you men, when I watch you be a good dad, when I watch you be a, a great husband, I, it makes me happy. I rejoice in those things. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody else live for God and it, it, it makes us happy, doesn't it? it? It lifts us up. 
And so I want you to be aware that there are people rejoicing today over your obedience to God, and it is known. Uh, you know, sin, sin doesn't do that, does it? Sin doesn't remind us that there are people rejoicing over our obedience, does it? Sin does just the opposite. Sin lies and says nobody will ever know, nobody will ever see, no, this won't hurt anybody but you. But I want you to think for just a minute, just kind of go in, in your mind just a little bit and think for just a minute, if you fall into sin, how many people outside of you, outside of your life, will you turn their rejoicing into grieving? The hardest thing I deal with as a pastor is not death. As hard as that is. I've watched people I love dearly die. I've watched people you love dearly die. I've watched you weep over people you love that have died. That's not even close to the hardest thing I deal with. The hardest thing for me to watch is people like you weep and cry over people you love that have turned to sin. They have turned their back on God and they've turned to sin and to see the brokenness and the grief and the sadness and literally the weeping that takes place when somebody turns to sin. We often say here and in our home, a mother is no happier than her saddest child, and that's the truth. A mother can be no happier than her saddest child. But the, the Bible here is making the opposite point, though. It's saying that there are people who rejoice in your obedience. I want to give you some verses that state that. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. 3 John 1, 4, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. I'm sorry, that is Proverbs 23, 25. 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Proverbs 10, 1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is grief to his mother. As a parent, have you ever sat there and watched your son do something just wise and oh how proud you are you just you just grin you don't, you don't even know how to take it in but then as a father have you ever sat there and watched your son do something just absurd <laughs> and you wish you could just grab him and stop him and muzzle his mouth or something just stop him and he's out there he's too far away you can't do anything about it and he just says it or does it and it's like it's too late you can't do anything about it Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I just wanted to give you that last verse to say, not only is it fathers and sons, or fathers and mothers that rejoice over obedient children, the Bible gives us a picture of all the realm of heaven, the angels. Look what it says, the angels of God. They're rejoicing. There's some sort of outburst of joy and happiness that happens when one person repents and turns to the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful picture? There, there is this realm of happiness in heaven that has to do with sinful people getting right with their loving Father, with God Almighty. And so everything good and wholesome and holy and righteous lives in the place where people are getting right with God and walking with God. And everything dirty and vulgar and brokenhearted and weeping lives in the place where people are turning their backs on God and turning to the way of sin. People know you're living for God. It stands out, and there are people who are very happy about it. And we could stop right there. I almost stopped the message there, but we need to go on. Look at what he says at the end of verse 19. Two things. He says, God wants you to be wise in what is good and innocent concerning evil. So he wants you to, to have wisdom in what is good and he wants you to have innocence in what is evil. This is not what culture says to us today. Uh, back when Cindy and I began to homeschool, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Uh, there was one point in our early beginnings of homeschooling, we knew of no other family in this town who homeschooled. Think about that. We knew of no other family in this, in this town who homeschooled. 
Then we met one. They were weird, man. They were weird. They were really weird. Uh, I could tell you a lot of stories about that, but I won't. That all the all the uh, stereotypes that people give you about homeschool, it was this family, and it wasn't. It didn't encourage us to meet them. It probably discouraged us. But one of the biggest things that we ever got when we began to homeschool, the biggest comment we got, the biggest statement we got is, what, what about your children being socialized? What about your children learning to, to know what's in the world and learning to be able to understand the things of the world? I said it in a lot of different ways. Uh, but that's not what this verse says. It says, I want you to be wise in what is good, Innocent in what is evil. And so let's talk first about being wise in what is good. And I'm going to, to do this, I'm going to use the illustration of Adam and Eve. If I have the notes, uh, the verses there on the screen for you. I want us to read about Adam and Eve. Look what happens in the garden. This is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. That's what God said, what I have underlined there. God said, You shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, or you will die. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, Will you really die? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the trees, three things here, here's three points of an outline. When the woman saw that the tree was, number one, good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, number two, and that it was desirable to make one wise, number three, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate it. Eating the tree was forbidden, from, forbidden by God, eating this tree. So that means it was evil. Wisdom is not knowing good and evil. Wisdom is knowing good. I want you to get that deep in your heart today. That's what Romans chapter 16 verse 19 is saying. Wisdom of knowing good. Wisdom is not knowing good and evil. Wisdom is only knowing good. It's not knowing evil. Eating the fruit of the tree caused Adam and Eve to know evil. Satan took evil, and he turned it into good by deceiving Eve. Satan caused Eve to look at this tree differently. And she said three things. She said, it is good for food. It wasn't. She said, it is delightful to look at. And she said, it is desirable that it would make me wise. In Eve's deception, she no longer saw the true reality of what God had described in the garden. She now saw the tree the way that Satan wanted her to see the tree. And so in seeing the tree the way Satan wanted her to see the tree, she was deceived and her deception led to sin. 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So you say, how was she deceived? She was deceived because the labels of good and evil had been switched. I'll give you an example. She was now ashamed of things that used to be good. Originally, they were naked in the garden. The Bible said they were naked and they were not ashamed. But now that they've done something evil or been exposed to evil by eating of the tree, now their nakedness was no longer good in their innocence now their nakedness was bad because of evil and they're ashamed of themselves and they're trying to cover themselves with these leaves their nakedness that was once good has now been turned into evil how was the good turned into evil by information about evil do you get that let me say that again how was their good turned into evil it was turned into evil by too much information about evil which exposed them to now need to be Ashamed and hiding and covering themselves. The second label that had been switched from good to evil was hiding from the presence of God. They were before 
walking in the cool of the day with the fellowship of the Lord, and now that they've been exposed to this evil, now they're hiding from God. The fellowship they once enjoyed with God was surely good, right? To be able to walk with God every afternoon, wouldn't that be great? God comes by your house every afternoon and goes walking with you in the cool of the day. Now the very thing that was so good to get to enjoy the presence of God, now they wanted no part of it, and they're actually running and hiding when they hear God coming. Look at Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Isn't that, isn't that one of the saddest verses in the Bible? What has happened? Adam and Eve have now been exposed to evil, and because of the shame of this evil they've been exposed to, now when God shows up, they run and hide from Him. They're running from the presence of God. I can't tell you how many church members, how many church people are in church today on Sunday morning in churches across the United States, and all week they're going to hide from God. All week, because of their lifestyle, because of things they're doing, they're going to feel like they need to run and hide from God. And they're not going to bask and live in the presence of the living God. They're hiding from God instead of enjoying God's presence. The good of walking with God has now become evil, and they're hiding from Him. This is what Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So they switched the labels. They turned what is good into evil. How did they do that? By being exposed to too much evil. God says he wants you to be wise in what is good. In the fourth point of your notes, the last phrase, God wants you to be innocent in what is evil. Innocent in what is evil. Translated to my version, simple, and some versions, innocence. It's a naiveness. It's the lack of experience or knowledge in evil things. It's the lack of exposure or defilement to evil things. The world will label this innocence by other words to cause innocence to seem bad when God says it's good. This is what's happening today more than ever in our country. The world labels innocence in other words, by other words, to cause you to think it's bad to be innocent. When God says it's good, and you are to be innocent concerning evil, they will call it things like this, trying to make it seem bad. They'll say it's ignorance. They'll say it's lack of experience or lack of knowledge. They'll call it things like being sheltered. And they'll even call it things like being homeschooled. You're, you're sheltered, homeschooled. Just innocent. Making it all seem bad. I want to go into application. Number one, sin harms the innocent. We need to be aware that our sin harms not only us, but people who had nothing to do with the sin we committed. That's the innocent. The example I want to give you is from Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34 and 35. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Berea, the Hittite, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. That's a powerful couple of verses. Why did it grieve Isaac and Rebekah? That, by the way, that's Esau's mother and father. Why did it grieve them so bad? You remember, you remember when Isaac sent Jacob to go find a wife? What did he say? He said it, I think, three times. He said, go find him a wife from the Israelites. Remember that? He wanted him to marry an Israelite because the Hittites named here, which would have been a part of the Canaanites, they were cursed from God because they had disobeyed the Lord and turned their back on the Lord. And so none of the descendants of Abraham, now Jake, Isaac and Jacob, none of those descendants were to marry outside of Israel because Israel was dedicated to the Lord. It, it would be like what is said in the New Testament about be not unequally yoked. You're not to, to marry an unbeliever. To marry a Hittite would be to marry somebody who worships a foreign God, a God that's not real, a God made with the hands of men. 
and all of their life and all their direction was towards marrying within Israel's family line because of one reason, because that's the people who worship the living God. And now here's just these couple of verses thrown in there in, in the end of Genesis when Esau's 40 years old. Remember who Esau was? He, he sold his birthright for a bowl, bowl of soup. He didn't care much about his heritage. He didn't care much about his spiritual heritage. And now here's just these couple of verses saying he's married two women, which is polygamy, but then he's also married two foreign women, Canaanites, Hittites, who, who don't worship the living God. And it says they grieved Isaac and Rebekah, grieved them greatly. At this point, there's nothing they can do about it. At this point, as a mother and father, you can't fix it. You can't make it better. You can't change it. But it will grieve you just the same. It will grieve you. I just want to think about that for yourself. Sin harms the innocent. Men, if you sin, <coughs> one day when your sins are found out, you have to think about what your wife would think about that. What your children would think about that. We were recently dealing with a couple, Cindy and I, and we found out about something the granddad had done that the granddaughter found out about. She doesn't want to speak to her granddad anymore. That's, that's grief, isn't it? That's grief. Sin harms the innocent. Not just your sin. Number two, be wise in what is good. And I'm going to do this by again looking at the garden, okay? Be wise in what is good. That was the last, the first point of uh, verse 19 toward the end where it says to be wise in what is good. I want to kind of look in the scripture and see, okay, how do I do this? How do I raise children like this? How do I, as a man, do this? Try to be wise in what is good. And we're going, to, we're going to illustrate this by looking at the garden. First of all, creation is the amphitheater of God's glory. Did you notice in the garden how many times God created something, and then it says, and it was good. Did you notice that? It says, and God on this day, he created this, and it was good. And God on this day, he created this, and it was good. It's as if God is calling on us to be a part of the wisdom, which is an attribute of God, Wisdom is different than intelligence. It's different than just being smart. It's some attribute of God that has to do with being able to see things the way God sees them. And he's telling you and I to be wise. We are to desire to be wise, to desire to grow in wisdom, even to pray for wisdom, to ask God for wisdom. And one of the first ways that you learn to gain wisdom in your life is to learn to view creation as the amphitheater of God's glory. In other words... Everywhere you go in creation, you are seeing the hand of God and the glory of God. And to live like that. He's encouraging you here to open your eyes and look at the sunset or look at the sunrise and give glory to God. Open your eyes and look at the vastness of the ocean and imagine how deep it is and imagine how far it is from here to that horizon and give glory to God. Look at the horse and the cow and the sheep and the goat and give glory to God in, in all the beauty that's contained in them. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the fish of the sea and imagine the multitudes of them and all these things give glory to God. Psalms 104 verse 24 and 25. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, living things both small and great. Jeremiah 51. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his 
treasuries just this morning. Did you hear that rain? I don't know about your house. It flat rained at my house. I mean, just the heavens opened up and dumped out this rain. That's the glory of God. And to live in such a way, whether it's looking over your crop or looking over a field or looking through the forest or uh, we could go on and on. These things in your life that God has put around you to be able to bask in God's glory in all these things and do that with your wife or your husband and do that with your children just by taking your children by the hand and walking through this land Pointing out the glory of God in God's creation will make your children wise. Second thing, by looking in the garden, enjoy the presence of God. The garden was a place where they were enjoying the presence of God. And because of evil, the ex being exposed to evil, they then started to run from the presence of God. If you're going to grow in wisdom and be wise in what is good, you must learn how to enjoy the presence of God as a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, young or old. You've got to learn how to walk with God and enjoy God's presence. It's what God wants for you. You say, well, what about my sin? What about the things I've already done, the things I've already been exposed to that are so evil? I remind you of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a good verse because in the same verse it talks about your sin like a sheep going astray, turning away from the Father who loves you so much, and turning to the way of evil. And in the same verse it says, and all your iniquities he has laid on Jesus. All of those sins he has laid on Jesus. Why in the same verse would he say, you've gone astray like a sheep, and now all those sins he's laid on Jesus. He says it in the same verse because he wants you to know that you're supposed to come back to Jesus. You're supposed to come back to the open arms of the Father and walk with him and experience his presence every day. God does not want you to live apart from his presence. If you're here today and because of something in your life or some circumstances or something you've done, you have turned away from the presence of God, you are missing the very thing that God has created you for. You're running from the presence of the one who created you so that you could live in his presence. You know that some, even in your obedience, even though you've not sinned, in your obedience, the devil will try to separate you from the presence of God. Not just in your sin will he separate you from the presence of God. In your obedience, he'll separate you from the presence of God. The devil will accuse you in your obedience. He did this to Job. He says, does Job serve God for nothing? Do you remember that? In other words, he says... Job, the only reason you're serving God is because look at what all God's given you. Look at your family and your money and your land and all that you have. And so what did the devil do? He came and he took all that away. Took his health away. His family died. His finances were gone. His health was gone. And Job learned. was proved to Job. He wasn't serving God for what all God did for him. He was serving God because God is God. That's the book of Job. The devil will accuse you in your obedience. The devil will also accuse God in your obedience. He begins to accuse God in front of you. In other words, while you're trying to live for God, he'll say to you, what has God done for you in your obedience? In other words, there are things that you want to get in life. Uh, maybe it's obedient children. Maybe it's a good marriage. Maybe, I mean, I, we could go on and on. There are things you want to get in life. And in some sense, you feel like if you obey God, God will give you these things. God will give me a good job, or God will take care of my finances, or whatever the case may be. And sometimes when you're not getting that, fill in the blank, something you wanted, and all you've done is try to obey God, the devil will step in and say, Why, what good is it to obey God? But you're not even getting the very thing you want. It's been years, and you're trying to live for God, and you're not getting the thing you want. Or worse yet, the thing you want is ripped out of your hands and it's taken away. And you say, well, I'm trying to live for God and, and this very thing has been taken away from me. What good is it? That's the accusations of the devil. If you live to be very old at all, 
Here's one of the things you learn. God doesn't always answer things immediately. But he does answer them. And he answers them correctly. In his time and in his way. That's why the verse in Psalms 37 verse 4 is so true. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. For those of us who live as a follower of Jesus very long, we find this verse to ring true over and over again. You know what? Sometimes when you're delighting yourself in the Lord, He gives you the desires of your heart. You didn't even know those were your desires until after you get them. Be wise in what is good. Enjoy the presence of God. Creation is your amphitheater of the glory of God. And then the third one, desire the milk of the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The same way a new baby desires the milk of his mother. As followers of Jesus desire the milk of the word. The word of God. What happened in the garden? They took their eyes off what God said and turned to what Satan said. And when they did that, they fell. Right? God said, don't eat of it. It's not good for you. He had given them everything else. But don't eat that one tree. The devil comes in and says, did God really say that? He, he wants you to, he, he just don't want you to be like him. And in that moment, they, they fell and sinned and turned away from the Lord. Turn to the word of God and savor God's words. Live by God's word. Long for God's word. If you don't get it in a day, if you don't get in the word, feel empty. Feel barren. Feel separate. You need the Word of God. It's, it's the truth. If you're not in it and getting it, the devil will twist it. Hurt you with it. Last point. From the last of the verses, protect innocence. From Romans 16, 19. Be innocent concerning evil. Protect innocence. I start to the married and the singles. I started to separate these, but there's really not a lot of difference in them these days. Just a few notes for protecting innocent things for married people and single people. Uh, beware of scrolling. <laughs> scrolling on your phones or your computers or whatever. Why don't you think about being exposed to evil? Think about this. Being exposed to evil. In five minutes of scrolling through, whether it be YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, these videos and things, in five minutes of scrolling, you can see different opinions from around the world, different perspectives from around the world, different ideologies from around the world. Evil, if I can say it that way, evil is being poured into your life in five minutes, more than a man a generation ago would have took him five years to get that kind of information into his life that you got in five minutes. Does that make sense? A generation ago, that man would have took five years to go out and meet all those different people, hear their perspective, listen to their perspective on life or whatever it may be. So, so my point is, in five minutes of scrolling, you're, you're allowing to be poured into your life an awareness of more evil than a man a generation ago could have got in five years. Let's be honest about these things. These things we scroll through, in particular, some are worse than others. And for men, a lot of it is just porn. And for women, a lot of it is just a creation of envy, an ideology of something you're to try to measure up to that you can never measure up to. Something that's unrealistic. So often when Cindy and I are counseling a marriage that's on the precipice of divorce occasionally we'll look at their Facebook page and in their Facebook page things are never better he's the greatest she's saying he's the greatest husband she's, he's saying she's the greatest wife they've got all these pictures of trips and places and things they're doing together and in the council room she's saying I don't want to live with him anymore and he's saying, I can't stand to look at her. Can't stand to hear her voice anymore. 
But all these other families out there are watching them on Facebook and saying, oh, if we could just be like them. If we could just travel like they travel. And if my husband would love me the way he loves her, look at what he said about her on Facebook. There's some people that, whether you're married or single, you cannot hang out with. You can't. You need to begin to evaluate people based on the amount of evil they pour in your life. Some people, when they find out that you are trying to live for the Lord and protect yourself from evil, be innocent in the areas of evil, some of those people will, will begin to think it's their job to open the doors to evil to you and expose you to evil. We used to have this happen with our children. When, they, when we were raising our children when they were younger, Somebody would find out that we, what we do and what we believe, and they would all of a sudden get, want to get really involved with their family and think it's their job now to expose our daughters to a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing the world, and all this evil. If there's somebody in your life that comes into your life and they're exposing you to ideas that are not biblical and things that are not of God, be prepared to get them out of your life. Be prepared to keep your children from seeing those children any longer. If your child comes home from somebody's house all the time and they've learned new cuss words and they've seen new movies that you wouldn't let them watch, wake up and stop letting them go to that house. I'd stop letting them be that, that person's friend because that little boy, he might be five years old, he's exposing your son to evil and he's sending him down a road of destruction that you can never get back. That little girl can be exposing your little girl to evil things that they that you're, you've protected your girl from for five years now, and, and in five minutes with that other little friend of hers, she, she ripped that all away. Exposed her to all those things that you've been protecting her from. God is honored by you moms protecting your little children from evil things. It's honored by you fathers. You're doing what the Bible says here. Keeping their innocence concerning evil. It's of God. I don't care what the world says. It's of God. So evaluate your friends. Do they make you desire evil men? If you're around that man, does he make you desire to do evil things? Ladies, if you're around that woman, does she make you desire to do things that are evil? When you leave that person, do they make you somehow feel lonely or or belittled, or that you don't measure up, and that you need to do something more worldly so that you can measure up. My children, often when they'd hang out with a certain group of children, they would come back and say, from being with them, we feel like we're not, we're not good enough because we don't have a girlfriend or we don't have a boyfriend. Be, be prepared to stay away from certain people and certain friends and keep your children from certain people and certain friends if necessary. My children are adults now. We recently asked them, who exposed you the most to evil in growing up? It was a distant relative. We wouldn't have suspected that we were around occasionally for holiday type events and unbeknowing they were teaching our young children things we would not have wanted them to learn and then they went on to say and these things made our life hard because we knew them in this you can call it a bubble in this bubble of innocence life is beautiful things are good God gets glory but when you start to let evil creep in there there becomes a greater war with sin. If you're a parent and you say, boy, I, I want to miss the rebellious days. I know they're coming, but I want, to, I want to miss the rebellious days. Let me tell you where the rebellion comes from. It comes from being exposed to evil, and they then began, have to make a decision between the evil of the world or the good that mom and dad has been teaching us. The longer you can protect them from being exposed to that evil, the less that battle and war will go, inside their, go on inside of their little hearts and minds. Uh, speak, uh, I already got into the parents a little bit, but let me just speak to the parents a little bit uh, more. Using my wife's illustrations, she has many of them. I started to have her come up here and just have a panel discussion. So she could answer a lot of your questions. 
because uh, she has been given a lot of wisdom by God. One of her one of her illustrations for moms is a cookie jar. If you had a cookie jar and it's full of cookies and it's glass, and you could see through it, and you set it on the counter from the time your child was a little young child and said, "These are cookies. Don't touch them. Don't eat them. You can't have them." In essence, you would be doing what happened in the garden when when Satan came in and he wanted to deceive Eve, what did he do? He caused her to look at it. He caused her to look at it, and he said, should you really not touch it? He caused her to think it was good for food. He caused her to desire it. Did you notice that word, desire, in the book of Genesis? He caused her to desire it for knowledge. A lot of times as parents, we allow the same thing to happen in our children in the area of sex. Even though you're not talking about sex with your children, the things you're letting your children do are things that the end result is sex, if that makes sense. And so what happens in our churches is a big movement in the Baptist about 10 years ago where they're asking young people to sign these documents saying, they'll, you know, we won't have sex, stay away from it, you know. And in essence, what they're saying is it's bad. Don't do it, it's bad. True story. Cindy and I have counseled several couples who have been married. As a newly married couple, they're struggling with sex because all their life it, it has had this view of it's a bad thing. You shouldn't do it. It's sinful if you do it. And now all of a sudden they're married, and the next day you're supposed to do it. And, and, and in their mind, since childhood, it's been bad. Does that make sense? And now they've got to flip their mind over and say, now it's good. And they can't do that. When in reality, it's good. <laughs> Somebody could have said amen if you wanted, but I don't understand you did. In reality, it's good, but we've marred it up and we've caused it to be bad by the view. I, I remember when our when our first son was born, Titus, we had girls at the time. We had two girls and now I have a son. And we began to do a study. We, me and Cindy and I used to ask each other this question often. Do we treat... Do we raise boys and girls the same? Do we treat boys and girls the same? And we didn't know the answer to that question back then, so we started looking at Scripture to see, is there a difference in the way a father raises a son and raises a daughter? Is there a difference in the way a mother raises a son and raises a daughter? And we come to conclude that there is a big difference, a big difference in this area of protecting their innocence. And so one of the things we try to do in protecting the innocence of the girls is protect them from, from romanticism. Everything in a girl's life, this started with Disney movies. At one point we were collecting the, this is when they had VHS tapes, the big ones, you know. At one point we were collecting the VHS tapes of all the Disney movies. We had a whole bookshelf full of them. <clears throat> we had spent quite a bit of money on them, the money that we really didn't have, because we wanted to be good parents and give them this something that was great for them, Disney. And we realize every one of these Disney movies present this romanticism of this girl that all that matters in her life is to one day get married. And that's all that's important. And she needs to dream about it and think about it all her life because one day on her wedding day, she's going to get to dress up like the queen and get to be married. And so this romanticism caused her from early childhood to think about marriage all her life as the one thing that she could ever do. And so we decided that one of the things to do for our girls was protect them from romance, to guard their heart from it. That's an evil that they can't be exposed to yet. One day they will be exposed to it, but, but they don't need it their whole life. It doesn't need to be the one thing they always dream about. And so we set out to try to do that, first of all, by getting getting rid of those Disney movies. We didn't watch those any longer. Let me just speak about watching movies for your children. Do our children watch movies? They always have. We, we always have watched, we're not, we watch TV. <laughs> and we watch movies. And you will make mistakes. I will let our children watch a, a, a war movie way too early. What's the name of it? The Patriot. The Patriot, there you go. <laughs> 
and uh, they were way too young when we watched that. I messed up. But I like the family identity in that movie where they, they rush through the wind, through the woods, the son and the fathers to rescue their brother. You remember that? I, I love that family identity and the boys were trained. And they were ready. They knew how to shoot and they knew how to run. And, but it was way too early. So. <laughs> so what do we do about watching movies? I can't tell you the number of movies my, my kids would come to me and they say, Daddy, so-and-so watched this movie. They said it's great. It's usually somebody, somebody's kid at church. <laughs> they watched this movie and it's great. We want to watch it. So you know what? My wife would watch it first and mark all the places. She'd actually write them down, all the places and things we didn't want to be seen. And then we would watch the movie. True story. She'd pause it. We'd actually get up, leave the room. You fast forward it to the next place and come back and watch it. You say, that's a lot of work. Yeah, you better believe it is. Why? Protecting their innocence. As far as reading books, uh, we didn't want the girls to read books with romantic themes in them. Many of you know Mary Bumgarner used to go here. Y'all remember her? She was our proofreader. The girls would say, I want to read this book. We'd give it to Mary. She'd read it. She was a great reader. Read fast. She'd read it. She'd mark all the places. She'd put sticky notes on top of them. Sometimes she'd say, this book's a no-go. They don't even need to read this one. She knew what we wanted. And she prepared this reading list of things we could risk. Read. My girls have now passed that on, I think, to some of the other kids. Why would you spend all That's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort to guard their innocence. Let's talk for just a minute about cell phones. You know, I was going there, have to. One of our family rules we stuck by is our kids could not have a cell phone so they could pay for their own cell phone. In other words, they had to have a job if you're going to own a cell phone, pay for the bill month in and month out. And then even when they got their cell phone, that don't mean you get internet access. It was easy for us back then because you had dumb phones. And so you could either choose an internet plan or not choose an internet plan. For you, it's much harder now. But I will encourage you to say this. I know at least with U.S. Cellular, and I'm not sure about the other carriers, you can call the place where you buy the phone or set up your subscription to the phone, and they can block data on particular numbers. We've had that done. So you can have data blocked. You say, well, my child's got to have a phone. I've got to be able to get in touch with them at school or wherever. They don't have to have data. You can block that. Why would you do that? You're protecting their innocence. So the girls' main thing was protecting them from romanticism. The boys was a little bit easier, but a little bit, but a whole lot harder. It was just this simple: protecting them from seeing certain things they didn't need to see. It's all about eyesight. It's all about what they look at. Do we make mistakes? Yes, we make mistakes. Do things creep in sometimes? Yes, they do, and you try to fix it. Do things go? come in and sometimes you blame yourself you better believe it the things come in and sometimes you have such regret and you feel so guilty and you feel so bad you better believe it but that's all in an effort and in the attempts of trying to guard the innocence of your family and so I encourage you in it based on scripture today from Romans chapter 16 verse 19 we are to be innocent concerning evil we're to be ignorant of it to not be exposed to it to guard our hearts and minds from it. So I want to encourage you today, be innocent and be proud of it. Because if you are innocent and if you're raising children who are going to be innocent, they're going to get made fun of, they're going to get talked about, they're going to get accused. And so you got to own it. you got to, you got to own, yeah, yeah, that's right, I'm innocent. Yes, that's right, I'm naive when it comes to those things. I can't tell you how many times Cindy and I, we do all of our marriage counseling together. I don't know if you know that. I don't do it alone. I've had too many pastor friends fall in marriage counseling, counseling some woman by himself. So Cindy and I do all of our marriage counseling together. I can't tell you how many times we've had marriage counseling with a couple who's married. You know, we're, we're not old, but we're older, okay? <laughs> and these married couples are telling us things they do. And after they leave, we look at each other and we go, 
I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> We've learned more bad, filthy things from marriage counselors than any other place. I say that kind of joking, but it's kind of sad too. I quote my wife with one final statement. She always says, at any time you can be exposed to evil if you need to be. But you can't take away exposure from evil. Does that make sense? So you can wait and wait and wait and say, well, she's getting old enough now. She needs to know this. Well, then you can tell. But if you tell them too young, you cannot take it back. So I want to encourage you, guard innocence concerning evil for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the men of this church. I pray that you would protect them from evil and exposure to evil that would cause their minds to stray and wonder and think about things that are ungodly, things that would cause them to run from the presence of God if they just think about it, much less if they do it. I pray for the woman, women of our church, Lord, that you would protect them from evil things and exposure to evil things, especially exposure that other women may bring into their life of evil. Pray for the singles here today, Lord, that you protect them from believing the world's lie that they need to date or they need to kiss or they need to do certain things to be exposed to certain things before they can ever get married. I pray that you protect them from those ideologies and they would live in, in a certain amount of innocence, protected from these evil things until it's time for them to be good things so that good is not turned into evil by early exposure. Father, I pray for our little children that our parents would have the courage, the boldness, and the willingness to work really hard, to labor day and night to guard their children's innocence and protect them from exposure to evil. Father, I pray that you would make this a burden on the, on the heart of this church that we would obey this verse and become wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Let it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Let it be so, Lord, we pray. For the glory of God and for our protection. Lord, we worship you and love you for what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.